0: Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them. In shining garments. Then, as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered those words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. This weekend, an organization known as American Atheists will be holding its 36th annual national convention in Newark, New Jersey. American Atheist was founded by a woman named Madeline O'Hare. This was the infamous person whose 1963 lawsuit banned teacher-led prayer and Bible reading in our public schools. Madeline was the face of atheism back in the 1970s. Obviously, the timing of the Atheist Convention is intentional. Mad Madeline once said that her purge of religion in America should, be, should include the taking back of Easter and making it a celebration of the start of spring. At the American Atheist Convention this weekend, you'll see controversial slogans intended to mock Christianity. For example, in God we trust, not. There's a sucker born again every minute. God is just pretend. In fact, conference attendees even have the opportunity to get de-baptized. They brazenly stand under a blow dryer and renounce their Christian faith. This conference is a pep rally for atheists. There will be speeches this weekend on the so-called dangers of religious belief. People will be condemning and hostile. They'll propose outlawing religion. They'll be violent and intolerant toward Christians while accusing Christians of violence and intolerance. I'm glad you chose to worship at church today and not at the atheist convention. But let me suggest to you this morning, an atheist convention was making a declaration of unbelief Here in Luke chapter 24, this is exactly the situation that we find. The women who came to the tomb, they didn't believe Jesus was alive. They had burial spices in their hand. They were stating their unbelief. Verse 10 names the delegation, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James and the other women. This was an atheist convention declaring their unbelief. Now, of course, some of you will want to quickly jump to the defense of these ladies who visited Jesus' tomb. Pastor Sandy, come on. How can you put these faithful followers of Jesus in the same category as a blatant, belligerent, blasphemous enemy of all that's good and godly like Madeline O'Hare? These Marys are no Madeleines. But here's the point I want to make today. Atheism comes in two varieties. On the one hand, there is the flaming, antagonistic, militant kind of atheism embodied in organizations like the one meeting today in Newark. This brand of atheism opposes religious expression, wants to deny people their right to worship the God of the Bible. They're anti-God and anti-Christ. These guys wear the black hats and they're pretty easy to spot. The perennial poster child for this type of atheism is Madeline O'Hare. But there is a more subtle form of atheism. For this is the atheism that works its way into churches and brings spices to the tomb of Jesus. It's respectful, and it's reverent, and it's religious. These are the atheists in the white hats. They attend church, and they speak half-hearted prayers, and they worship at appropriate times. And they hide behind a veneer of compliance. This is the atheism found even among folks who claim to be followers of Jesus. You'll never find this kind of atheism calling for the elimination of faith. Rather, it just ignores the implications of faith. Simply put, it includes the resurrection in its creed. But it treats the risen Lord Jesus... As if he's dead. And the poster child for this brand of atheism? Well, it's Mary and the women who accompanied her to the tomb of Jesus on that first Easter morning. You know, since you're at church today and not at the atheist convention, I'm pretty sure that you're probably not a Madeline. But are you a Mary? That's the question. Several years ago, the Atlanta Journal made an awful error, it published the obituary of a man who was still alive. <laughs> the mistaken obit appeared in the Thursday edition. Well, Friday's edition printed the retraction. Editors blamed the mix-up on a miscommunication with the funeral home. Hey, but how would you like to wake up one morning, open up the newspaper, and see yourself memorialized in the local obituaries? No one alive and kicking wants to be treated as if they're dead. Yet this is what the two Marys and Joanna and the other women did to Jesus. While they were still in Galilee, Jesus had told them what would happen. He gave them the play by play that he would be arrested and that he would be crucified. But then three days later, he would rise from the dead. They had seen Jesus conquer sickness and demons and storms at sea. It made sense that death couldn't hold him. But they didn't grasp his statement. Maybe they assumed that Jesus was just telling another parable. Or it just sailed over their heads. It just never clicked. Similar to what happens when you tell a teenager to take out the trash. You know, it just doesn't click. Why the truth didn't register, we're not sure. But on that first Easter, Mary and company treated a man who was as alive as you and me as if he were dead. The women came to the tomb that morning with fresh spices. Their intention was to prepare and rewrap the corpse. In fact, Mark 16 says that as they walked to the tomb, they even wondered among themselves how they would move the heavy stone from the mouth of the grave. Their intention was to finish giving this corpse a decent burial. Even when the women found the tomb open, the reality of what what had happened didn't hit them immediately. Rather than marvel at a miracle, they were perplexed and puzzled. They were standing on holy ground, yet they wondered if they were at the scene of a break-in and a robbery. It took two angels with a question to jar them back to reality. The guys in the shining garments, they said, Why do you seek the living among the dead? And I could hear them chuckle and laugh as they said it. The question implies a funny thought. Why are you treating a man who is alive as if he's dead? People who are alive don't hang out in graveyards. And then the angel's next words. He is not here, but he is risen. In the Russian Orthodox Church, there's an ancient tradition that observes the day after Easter as a day for telling jokes. The post-Easter Monday is a time where priests and people alike gather together to tell their best jokes. It's their way of honoring the cosmic joke that God played on the devil at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Satan thought he had won. He figured that he had snuffed out the light of the world... Satan had blown out all the birthday candles only to discover that God had been using non-extinguishable candles. Three days later, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave and revived bodily to let the whole world know. Satan laughed for three days, but it was God who got the last laugh. The joke was on the devil. What he thought was his greatest victory became our salvation. And yet so often the joke's on us. For Jesus is alive and well. He's ready to lead us to new ventures and to work through us to change our world. Yet we still visit the tomb with fresh spices. Jesus lives. So what are we doing hanging out in graveyards or in places of dead dreams and dead hopes and dead relationships and dead joys? You see, the problem with many believers in churches today is what could be called, quote, a practical atheism. Our theology is correct, but our practice lags behind. We say we believe in the risen Lord, but we live as if he's dead. When we pray, do we really think he listens? Before we serve, do we wait on his power? Once we're lonely, do we look to him for his presence? Rather than run to him with our problems, so often we try to resolve them ourselves. Rather than seek his guidance, we make our best guess and trudge on. Rather than lean on his power, we muster up our own meager reserves. Rather than depend on the comfort and joy Jesus promises, too many of us turn to drugs or sports or games or movies or entertainment or or just anything to stay distracted so we don't have to deal with life's emptiness. Here is today's big point. Jesus is alive, but all too often we treat him as if he's dead. Once there was a young, innovative pastor who was doing his best to relight the flame in a dying church. And yet there was an old, crusty, stuck-in-his-ways deacon. Ever met him? He was trying to block this young pastor's every effort. One day, the stubborn old geezer, he just had it. He exploded. He said, preacher, I'm telling you, if Jesus knew about all the changes you're trying to make in our church, he'd roll over in his grave. <laughs> well, his slip of the tongue revealed the superficiality of his faith. Although no one would ever admit it, if the truth were known, there are many religious people who would prefer a dead Jesus to a live one. If it were up to them, they'd use the burial spices to wrap him back up. They'd roll the stone back over the grave and only let Jesus out when it suited them. They'd gag him with his own grave clothes so he wouldn't be able to remind them of all those troublesome commandments that cramped their style. They'd rather have Jesus stuffed away and out of sight. Some people treat Jesus like a family heirloom like the Christmas decorations they stick him in a trunk and store him in the basement and only bring him out on special occasions like Christmas and Easter hey you can pay homage to a dead savior whenever you want You, you can visit a tomb when it's convenient for you you can pledge to a dead Jesus all your devotion and then turn around and just live for yourself In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, author Philip Yancey, he writes honestly, he says, in many respects, I would find an unresurrected Jesus easier to accept. The resurrection makes him dangerous. It means he must be loose out there somewhere. Like the disciples, I never know where Jesus might turn up, how he might speak to me, what he might ask of me. A living Lord is not nearly so convenient and predictable. Jesus is alive and on the move. He demands my loyalty moment by moment. He has the power and prerogative to interrupt my plans or to prompt me to change. Jesus can never be confined to a box or a grave. The risen Lord calls the shots and He expects you and me to follow. One author writes, The resurrection means that we can never nail Jesus down. Not even if the nails we use are real, and the thing we nail him to is a cross. Hey, you're liable to find Jesus anywhere. At the ballpark, or the movie theater, or on the roadside, or hanging out in your backyard. Or or, or maybe joining you on the job, or cruising with you in the car. Not just the sacred, but the secular is his domain. The Bible tells us the world is Jesus' footstool. If the only time you're looking for Jesus is on Sunday mornings in a house of worship, no, lo- no wonder you miss him so often. Jesus is not some disabled senior confined to a bed in the nursing home. He's full of vim and vigor. His adrenaline still pumps an adventure. You can bet Jesus is out and about. Once there was a family who had gathered together in front of the television to watch a video on the life of Jesus. The six-year-old daughter, she was moved to tears by the graphic scenes of Jesus' scourging and trial and crucifixion and and then his death on the cross. The little girl sniffled and wiped her eyes, wiped the tears from her eyes as the Roman soldiers took the body of Jesus down from the cross. She watched as Jesus' friends laid him in a borrowed tomb. But then suddenly, she shot up in her seat. And with a huge smile across her face, she turned to the rest of the family. And with tremendous anticipation, she shouted, Now comes the good part! And boy, I agree. I'm thankful for the cross and the blood Jesus shed for me. Without it, my forgiveness, your forgiveness would be impossible. But Jesus is no longer dead. He's alive. And his plans for today include you, and they include me. Our salvation was won on the cross, but the cross was not the end of the story. It began for us a whole new adventure with God. The risen Lord now lives in us to change us and lead us and use us. He wants to work through us to impact a needy world. As one pastor put it, Easter is the truth that changes a church from a museum into a mission. There is a scene I've been referring to it the last several weeks. It's at the end of the epic miniseries, Jesus of Nazareth. The high priest's henchman, the man who's conspired with Judas in order to kill Jesus, he's breathing easier now. Despite the fact that Jesus was clearly divine, if he'd been allowed to live, he would have upset the status quo. And so the higher ups had all agreed that Jesus had to be silenced. Powerful people had too much to lose. And yet now, three days later, he's gotten news that something's wrong at the tomb. He, he arrives to inspect with two other priests in a squadron of soldiers. He finds that the Roman guard has been supernaturally overcome, the stone has been rolled away, the body of Jesus is nowhere to be found. He walks into the empty tomb. He he sees the empty grave closed. Then he stares off into empty space. And he says these words. Now it begins. It all begins. Hey, don't try to roll back the stone. Keep your burial spices on the shelf. There's no need to even frequent the tomb any longer. Let Jesus be as alive in your life as he is in the world today. The resurrection is where it all begins. A new beginning for fallen man and a new beginning for the believing heart that invites the living Lord to grab hold of its controls. The risen Christ has set sail on the sea of today. Are you on board with what he's doing? Or are you just standing on the dock? I love this poem by Lois Cheney. Listen carefully. Once upon a time, there was a God who so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son. And they took that son and they hung him on a cross. And that son died. And they buried the son, sealed him up tight. But God said, oh no you don't. And he rolled back the rock. He unsealed his son and his son came out. Came out walking and breathing and he was alive. And he's alive today and he walks around and he stalks around breathing life and life. Yet every morning just before dawn for thousands of years little grim people, preachers and bankers and storekeepers and students, they sneak up to the grave And they roll back the stone to seal it up tight. And every morning God roars out, oh no you don't. And he flings back the stone and out walks Jesus all over again. Out stalks the grinding, striding Jesus. Tight-lipped little people hover all day around the tomb. And they cover it with incense. And they bow before it. And they walk before it. And they pray to it. And they sing to it. And they weep to it. And they lean on it. And no one notices. Or at least they pretend not to notice. The living, breathing, walking, talking Jesus. Out on the edge calling, hey, hey you. Has Jesus been calling you? Trying to get your attention. One Easter, a pastor had gathered all the children in the altar of the church for his little children's talk. And out of the blue, one of the little boys said loudly, What did Jesus say right after he came out of the grave? Well, the pastor was kind of caught off guard. Didn't know what to say. One little girl, she piped in, Pastor, I know what Jesus said. Pastor was curious. He says, Okay, well, then what did Jesus say when he first came out of the grave? The little girl, she threw out her arms as wide as she could and she said, Ta da! <laughs> hey, I'm not sure that's exactly what Jesus said, but it's probably close. I can see Jesus standing in the opening of that tomb with his arms spread out and a smile on his face. He's laughing loudly. Ta-da! I'm back! Death couldn't hold me. I'm here. I'm alive. And I'm on the move. And in a sense, Jesus still stands in that opening, shouting every day to every living person. Ta-da! I'm alive and well. I want to do things in your life but I need your cooperation will you come and follow me this is the good part this is where new life takes off well Luke chapter 24 our text today recounts what happened that first Easter morning but let's say I was asked to retell the story without using words no words I had to recount the story with nothing but punctuation. How would you punctuate the resurrection story? If all you could use was punctuation marks, how would you do it? Well, here's my rewrite. I'd begin with a comma. For these women were returning to the tomb to finish a job that they had started in haste three days earlier. The Sabbath had been like a comma. It had been a pause in their preparations. That They had been interrupted. But now they're headed back with fresh spices to repack the body and to rewrap the burial shroud. They're going to finish this tragic sentence. But then I'd put down a, a bold, cold period. For there's no bounce in their step. There's no smile on their face. There's no anticipation in their conversation. Yes, a period now sits at the end of their dream for a better life. They've all assumed that Jesus is dead. There's no thought that he still might have one more bold miracle up his sleeve. Yeah, I read a period right here. Next, though, I'd place a question mark. For when they find the tomb empty, we're told that they were greatly perplexed. All kinds of theories and and possibilities began to swirl through their heads. They should have known he'd risen on several occasions. Jesus had been clear about what would happen in Jerusalem. And yet all they're able to do now was muster a question mark. But after the angel's gentle rebuke, after the reality of the empty tomb and its implications had settled in, after Jesus had revealed himself to them, these women responded, With an exclamation point. They trusted Jesus fervently. They ended up following him to the ends of the earth. It's comical now. But these women had been treating a man who was alive as if he were dead. Jesus is alive and on the move. And despite their earlier failures. They were now given a brand new start. Now it begins. It all begins. Is your faith a comma? You pause on Sunday to attend church or say a prayer, sing a song, hear a sermon. But come Monday, you're right back, re in your secular routine. On Sunday, you tell yourself that you believe in the doctrine of the resurrection, but throughout the week, you pretty much live as if Jesus were dead. Is, is your faith a period? Life has let you down? Hurts won't go away. You've given up on dreams you thought would be fulfilled some time ago now. You stopped reaching for the stars. And your goal in life has just been to make it through another day. Your life needs a miracle. But you're not really anticipating one from Jesus. Is your faith a question mark? Recently your life has taken some strange twists. Circumstances have occurred you can't explain. You've tried to calculate solutions to your problems. But you've never considered that Jesus is a part of your equation. Hey, it's time to factor in the resurrection. Jesus is alive. And he's using your situations in order to get your attention. And solicit your cooperation. Jesus wants to work in your life. But you have to be willing. Well, finally... Is your faith an exclamation point? I hope it is. I hope you're living today hand in hand, stride for stride with the living Lord Jesus. Do you look for him and lean on him and live with him? Are you excited about the future he's charted for your life? Are you anticipating Jesus to change you and fill you and love you and lead you and then use you in many and mighty ways? If not, my friend, then why not? Because that's what he promises. Perhaps you've always claimed to be a Christian. You accept what believers believe. And since Christians are supposed to be at church on Easter Sunday, well, (laughs) here you are. And yet, let me challenge you to go beyond the rhetoric. Regardless of what you've been saying, have you been acting like an atheist? Are you one of those white hat atheists? Have you been guilty of a practical atheism? Now, I know you're not a Madeline. But have you been a Mary from time to time? Listen one more time. What the angels asked the women who came to the tomb. They said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is risen. From now on, let's follow the risen Lord. Get in tow with the Jesus who's overcome all obstacles. Not even death can hold him. Get in step with the risen one whose plans have never failed. And who is always on the move. Here is the final word. Today, it begins. It all begins. Father, thank you for your great love for us and for your promises to us for the salvation that was won on the cross but for the salvation that's now realized through the risen Christ he lives in our hearts he wants to work in our lives help us to obey and to have faith and to trust you lord daily Lord, be as alive today in our lives, in our hearts, as you are in the world. Lord, fill us and love us and encourage us and help us. And Lord, if there's someone here today who doesn't know the risen Christ, who believes with their their head but has never experienced with their heart the reality of the risen one, I pray that today, they would take the step. They would, they would make the effort to come to know you.